Hey guys, it's Hiba. So we started this podcast to capture the depth that our region has to offer in the ways we don't see in our media. But in many ways, for me at least, I feel like our exploration in these episodes and stories helps me understand the region better for myself. My mom's Egyptian, my dad's American, and I have the classic ongoing identity crisis. As I grow older and I'm actively deciding where to lay roots in this world, this back and forth of which side, which side, confuses me when I tell my family I want to move to Egypt and they say things like this. I tell you, be clever and don't ever think of doing this stupid move, okay? Does this sound good for your episodes? There's nothing good about living in Egypt. We didn't have another option. To the, if we had another option, you can... Hiba, it's difficult. If we had another option, we would have left, I think. A lot of Egyptians are leaving Egypt to live elsewhere. The States, the Gulf, Europe. This story of a family leaving their home to pursue better opportunities is a story as old as time. But it's not, actually. Not for Egypt. We never used to be a society who emigrated. In the past 50 years, it's like the nation has slipped into a reputation of not being worth it anymore. And in the past five years in particular, there is an increasing trend in the desire to leave. I feel like everyone among my friends and many family members want to leave or have already left. And emigration seems like this easily black and white issue. They're leaving because they've had enough. But really, why are people leaving? Why are talented Egyptians leaving the homes they were born in, the schools they studied in, the parks they played in, the families they grew up surrounded by? There's a reason they call Egypt Omedunya, mother of the world. Because it's more than just the pursuit of a better opportunity. I mean, what do you owe to the community that raised you? Today, I want you to join me on a quest across four cities, Cairo, Alexandria, Seattle, and Dubai, as we try to answer the question of why Egyptians are leaving Egypt. And given the luxury of choice of where they'd like to live, would an Egyptian today choose Egypt? My name is Hiba Fisher, and you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Let's start with a story to help us understand why Egyptians are leaving. I want you to meet Ahmed. I'm Ahmed Youssef. I work as a software engineer in Facebook. Ahmed was born and raised in Egypt and studied computer science at Ain Shams University in Cairo. He graduates in 2000, starts teaching as a TA at the university, and helps build multiple companies over the years. He made it work in Egypt, and, well, when one company closed, he'd start another. Till this point, I was making very good money, so I was living a very good, decent life. I got married, I bought my apartment, I did all of that. Uh, Egypt treated me very well, yeah. in general. One of the companies Ahmed started with a friend was called Creus, a business software consulting firm. At any given time, the company had between 5 to 10 employees and was doing good business. Then, in October 2010, one of Ahmed's friends sent his resume to Microsoft, which was recruiting in Egypt. I didn't even apply to move. Okay. And I was wishing to be, get rejected okay. all the time. Wait, so what happened? So they called me. I told myself, you will not even pass the exam. You'll not even pass the interview. That's what I, this is my thinking. Then I said, okay, then let's make it a challenge 
and I'll just go for the interview, and I will see if I pass or not. If I pass, I'm gonna reject the offer. If not, I will know my limit. Uh, even the day of the interview, I had a class at that at the same time, so I was even thinking to say no. So I called my friend. So I told him, look, I have a class. I'm not really willing to travel. I'm thinking not to go to okay. the interview. He told me, you know what? I understand that you don't want to go, but it's unpolite from you, and you're gonna represent the Egyptians in a bad way if you do this. <laughs> okay. So at least go, show up. And I said, okay, I'm gonna do this just for the image <laughs> of the Egyptians. <laughs> the the recruiter said things will went well. We're gonna send you an offer. I was like, what? I didn't even expect that. I didn't even plan for that. The first thing that came in my mind is my self-esteem came back because I was I was telling you about how I had it in my mind before. It's just I'm not even up to this job. Now, they're making me an offer, so it's kind of... A validation. A validation of, okay, I'm still a little bit good. What What was the offer? The, to, to come here as an uh, ISDET, Software Development Engineer in Test. Okay, so that's so to come move to Seattle yes. for like three years? Forever, for forever, whatever you want. And I'm assuming the pay was probably more. I mean, you cannot say the pay was more because you cannot, you're, you're not doing a currency translation. You cannot translate the dollars to Egypt, Egyptian pounds. But in terms of absolute number, I was getting the same. Ah, okay. Because I was making, I was, I had my, when you have your company, you're making good money. You'd be getting the same? Wait, so you had your company Creus running. What would happen to your employees if you left? Hi there. Abdurrahman? This is Abdurrahman, Ahmed's partner in their business Creus and his childhood friend. First, we had a discussion in the office about how does the business go. And thanks to um, the technology and to, in today's world, you can communicate all over the world. You can still uh, lead a company while you are in another continent. That's a good thing in our days. And then we went and we sat outside somewhere and then we had the side discussion. When you leave a country to go to work to another country, it's, it's actually a big calculation. It's not only about, okay, I'm having a good business opportunity somewhere, I'll get good money, and it is different. Uh, for example, if you live in a country like Egypt, you're used to the 24-7 service all over. You still having life at 2 a.m. in Cairo. <laughs> this you can perhaps find in New York, but if you are in Seattle, for example, in Germany, in some areas, you're not allowed to flush the toilet in the night. What? you are not allowed to flush the toilet in the night. Otherwise, your neighbors might sue you. Completely different society. And people are just a set of habit. We, I, I, myself, as a person, I am just a big group of habits. So if I take the set and put it directly in a new culture, are you willing to do this? Are you really willing to adopt? We have been two young men who wanted never to leave the country. I felt always, and I think also Ahmed shares this with me, that I owe my country something. What do you mean you feel like you owe your country something? So, um, it's the country where I raised, where I learned, where I got to school, and uh, most of my studies were actually paid by the government. So, besides the idea of belongingness, 
This country paid money for me. You love your country. You want to pay back what the country did for you. This is a difficult part. And this actually was my long discussion with him when he came to me was, um, um, I might move to Seattle. What do you think? It was a big disaster with the family. And this is Ahmed again. My wife was not happy. My wife, uh, she used to be an international judo player. She used to That's travel. That's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> she traveled a lot. Yeah. And she was not happy by the fact that we're leaving. Uh, and I imagine leaving the family must have been yeah, really hard. Yeah, and the family did not accept that easily. But why were you even considering it? As you said, life was treating you just fine. The pay wasn't more. Why would you consider uprooting yourself, your wife, your young daughter, away from the only place you ever lived for this uncertain future? Again, I don't have a problem. And contracts that are running for my company, so I cannot claim that... I moved because I was stressed by any yeah. mean in Egypt. Uh, Egypt treated me very well yeah. in general. February was the revolution. Yeah. Uh, business was crushed for everyone in the technology field. Because you were at the end the luxury business. People will not invest in improving their factories if their workers are not working. When we ask the question, why are Egyptians leaving Egypt, we need to ground our conversation in context. As Ahmed is figuring out whether or not to move his family out of Egypt, he's living the first revolution in January 2011 in the country. Political and economic instability were obvious factors contributing to his desire to leave, and he wasn't alone in his thinking. So he started first. This is Abdurrahman again. I was still giving some more time thinking of Perhaps it's not this bad, but it turned out to be after a while that he did the right step because it was pretty much difficult. Difficult how? First day where people saw that it's already a revolution, nobody wanted to invest a penny in a product. No, but all the investors that wanted to do some business with us, all of them did not want to pay a penny anymore. Not for getting new deals, even they wanted to stop all the running deals. And this was first, of course, a very difficult point to convince them because you don't know if they can pay their employees. This question came to every investor and business owner in Egypt after the revolution directly. Can I go on with my business at all? Which is actually not odd. It happens everywhere in the world when any political and society instability comes in. Substantial losses incurred by Egypt's stock market Let's in the past week. Let's talk about the economy. economy which has Let's face it, the Arab Spring uprisings were motivated. How bad is the situation, yeah. sir? We have lost something like seven billion pounds. After the revolution, there was a gap of 15 months before the presidential elections. This empty political space, after 30 years of an entrenched regime, created such a sense of uncertainty that so many people were taking their money out of Egypt until things settled. In the period just after the revolution, the country's foreign reserves fell from about 43 billion U.S. dollars before the revolution to 15 billion right after. This meant that the government couldn't sustain subsidies on products like food and gas, and it meant prices of things like imported cars and electronics nearly doubled in terms of the value of the Egyptian pound. But the situation is a bit more complicated than just this. In May 2011, when Ahmed finally moves his family out of Egypt to Seattle in the States, only 15% of Egyptian youth thought to migrate. Most were optimistic about the possibilities in their country after the revolution. Though, as an aside, the latest figure is now up to about 61% want to leave. Desire to leave fluctuates, but emigration from Egypt in absolute numbers has been rising for decades. 
I remember first learning about the brain drain as a concept um, in classes at AUC. And this is Iman Zaoud, who completed her master's thesis in 2012 on Egyptian emigration based on over 100 interviews with Egyptian policymakers and experts. I guess it's also a topic close to home for me as well because um, I grew up outside of Egypt. I feel like all the people that I know are outside of Egypt and, and they got me thinking, okay, well then who's still in Egypt? What's happening? What, how has that affected Egypt? Uh, what can we do uh, about it? Was there a moment since we started tracking emigration that triggered this rise of the desire to leave Egypt? Before the mid-1960s, especially in the 1950s, for example, there wasn't a lot of talk of migration to begin with. That was also in line with Nasser's restrictive policies. President Nasser in the 50s and 60s was Egypt's first president, overthrowing the monarchy prior. He did a massive overhaul, turning the country inwards, nationalizing industries, and promoting anti-imperialism policies. But then, that all changed. Back in the day, the issue was the Egyptian government had promised all university graduates jobs. If you go to, if you, yeah, yeah, <laughs> because see, that's the thing with government, with government sponsored education, it was supposed to be government jobs, but then they realized that they couldn't keep up with the number of graduates. Yeah, the, the, the pressure definitely um, built up through the 1950s and the 1960s. There definitely is a shift from Nasser's restrictive policies to Sadat's infitayah. President Sadat's flipped Nasser's policies on their heads by opening the borders and encouraging more foreign trade and influences. In line with Sadat's infitayah came a liberalization of immigration policy as well, you know, making sure that visa restrictions, uh, exit visa restrictions weren't that strong. Um, definitely uh, the mid-1960s, you, you started to see the partial encouragement of, or the partial relaxation of immigration um, policy, which allowed, you know, some um, immigration, but with quotas on certain professions, like doctors, engineers, um, that kind of thing. Um, these professions were allowed to travel, but only in certain numbers, so as not to affect, you know, the, the Egyptian uh, labor force, exactly. Yeah. Um, also, in the 1971 constitution, so that's 90, 1971 constitution, it, it became a right to leave, whether permanently or temporarily. Basically, made it easier for Egyptians, encouraged them to leave the country by, for example, Egyptian uh, government um, employees, if they left Egypt and weren't successful in their uh, finding employment abroad, their immigration, whatever, they could come back and still come back to their jobs within the government, so within one year. So no, knowing you have a backup was meant to encourage you to leave. It went from being something that was restricted to gradually being restricted, to being encouraged, to being actually a full-on policy objective. So deploying Egypt's labor force outside of Egypt became one of the objectives of the government. So I find this super fascinating, that there's this policy in the 50s and 60s to encourage Egyptians to work for the government. Then there's this realization the government can't supply enough jobs to keep up. And then it was an explicit government policy to encourage emigration. There's not enough jobs at home, so let's ship people out. Perhaps this is why when Ahmed applied for an exit visa to leave Egypt and go work for Microsoft in the States, it was granted to him in three months. I said, okay, I'm going to accept the offer. And I told my wife, okay, don't worry. 
let's just see if the visa will go through or not. My wife was actually praying that they reject us. They finished my paper in three months. <laughs> emigration happens across all socioeconomic levels, yes, but what's striking is the majority of those who emigrate, like Ahmed, are skilled and have higher education than the average of all those who stay. Moreover, emigration is a huge issue for Egypt. Egypt is at the top of the list as the Middle Eastern country with the highest rate of voluntary emigration. 90 million Egyptians live in-country, about 13 million more live abroad. Because technically the other, the other side of the argument is that... This is Iman again. The brain drain argument, which is that the Egyptian government should recognize that the number of Egyptians leaving, and not just the number, but the type of Egyptians leaving Egypt as well, how, how qualified they are, how um, bright they are, how innovative they are, their age, how young they are, you know... Um, that definitely does impact the economy as well. So it's not just there are benefits to immigration, but there are also negative consequences. Um, I mean, the brain drain is a controversial topic because some people say, oh, come on, there are so many, you know, educated Egyptians, highly skilled Egyptians in Egypt, and we're such a big population that there's not such a big difference. Other people say, no, actually, the people that are leaving, they might not be you know, a huge percentage of the overall Egyptian population, but they represent the most highly educated, the most um, driven, exactly innovative people. So the effect that their leaving has on Egypt is, is still profound. I've spoken with many Egyptians about their decisions to leave their home country, and resoundingly, it's never a clean-cut decision. Nobody plans to leave forever. They love Egypt. They want to be close to their families. It's most often a strategically economic decision to go to a place that affords better work opportunities. Because depending on who you ask, national unemployment ranges between 13 and 25 percent. My wife didn't sell her car. We kept one car. We said, we're coming back, so let's keep the newest car. This is Ahmed again. I didn't sell my apartment. I didn't even move my furniture. Rani, you were very in your mind... Coming back. Coming back. Yeah, soon. Also. Yeah. Coming back soon. Just elections, finish. Yeah. Things are going to be better, then I come back. So I stayed in Egypt till May. Well, February 2011 was retribution. Yeah. Jan, Feb. Then May, I was out. Okay, May 2011, you moved. Was it hard to pack up your life? Microsoft offers in general, just to give you a perspective, is it, it's not about the money that they try to uh, tell you. So they tell you, okay, we're going to finish the paperwork for you. We're going to move all your furniture for you. We're going to pay for your any losses that you get in your car if you sold it. Any uh, gym membership that you're going to lose. And they tell you, you're going to come here. We're going to give you a temporary house for two months. Fully furnished. You don't have to worry about anything. We'll give you a car. If you can't drive... We have a company that will teach you how to drive. <laughs> See, if you don't speak English, we have a person, a company, that will teach you English. That's amazing. They care of everything for you. They make it so easy for you to pick yes. up and leave. Yeah. What was it like coming to the States? I mean, this was your first time to come to the U.S., first time to live abroad. So, here's another thing about the community. There is about... 500 people here from the same college. Really? Yeah. Wait, from Egypt? From Egypt. Not from the general Egypt. But Ain Shams. From Ain Shams. 
right here now. In yeah. In Seattle. Yeah. That's so random. Why? Because no, it it is expected. Again, everyone came to the same realization. They started moving. So 2008 started with few spots of people coming. Then, oh, it's working. So let's apply. People started to apply more. Uh, by my time, there was something like hundred families in here, and the college is actually married from each other. So I married my wife, and uh, her friend is married to another. So it's very rare that you will find someone who got married to someone who's not from the same college and in this community. You find this community is like, oh, you just moved the college here. <laughs> so it would have been harder for me if it was either a generic Egyptian community yeah. or no Egyptian community yeah. at the beginning. But it was not any community. It was my friends. You moved to Egypt with you. Okay, you're a rare case. Even my mentor was here. My college mentor was here. This was really unexpected for me visiting Seattle for the first time. There is a huge Egyptian community there. And they come because of the same reasons Ahmed's came. Some of the biggest tech companies have their headquarters in the city. Microsoft, Boeing, Amazon. I actually found countless U.S. unemployment interest groups petitioning against Microsoft because it's one of the biggest players pushing the U.S. government to increase the quota for foreign work visas. By the sheer numbers, Microsoft hires way more from India and China than they do from Egypt. Egypt's like 48th on their list, but still, Egypt is a hotbed for computer science talent. So you left, but what happened to what you left behind? What happened to all your employees and clients at Creus after you moved? And then was looking to the curve of the business, seeing that our deals are still running, but no new deals are coming. This is Abdurrahman, Ahmed's business partner again. It did take me more than a year. In April 2012, I made the decision. Okay, now it's time to go. Wait, you moved too? Yes, I decided to go somewhere else, invest in myself, and wait for the chance to come back. Abdurrahman was the last to leave. He closed out their projects, closed the company, and moved his family out of Egypt. He immediately found an opportunity with Microsoft in Germany, which, by the way, as we pass this point, points to the caliber and talent within Egypt. But they're getting picked up so quickly by top tech companies. What did your wife think about the job offer? It was difficult. First of all, although my wife is actually German, we met in Egypt, we got married in Egypt, she never ever wanted to go back to Germany because for her, Germany was no longer home until today. Once in a while, she comes to me and blames me for leaving Egypt. Ahmed and Abdurrahman's stories aren't surprising. The Egyptian economy was really hurting in 2011 and 2012, and they left to where they could find stable work. But we're in 2016 now. Abdurrahman is still with Microsoft in Munich, and Ahmed is now with Facebook in Seattle. These are two talented, ambitious men who could and have built successful careers in Egypt. Why haven't they come back? So, I understand. This is kind of not the bravest approach in general. Not uh, It's a very selfish approach. And till 2011, till the revolution, everyone coming to Microsoft was a self-establishment, establishing your name. Mm-hmm. You're going after something big, and you want to do all these fancy stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the same right now. I think any, everyone wants to just to get out. And again, don't take it in a negative way. This is normal. Any society will go into the sine wave. 
Uh, and without the sine wave. Sine and cosine? Yeah. So we're going down for a while. And this is necessary to go up. Uh, it's just a choice to be there in this part of the signal or be outside. Mm -hmm. And I say people who decide, not forced, people who decide to stay are really strong and really brave. And people like us or me are not brave enough or not strong enough to go back anymore. When I came, very few people bought their houses. Everyone was renting. Very few people will buy their cars. They will lease it. Very few people will think about investing in the U.S. They all will send their money back. No one bothered about schools because we said, okay, by the time our kids are going to go to school, we're going to be back. Uh, so you can see coming here in 2011, the people actually did not plan to stay long. So after the second election. This was when the current president, Sisi, came to power in 2014. Everyone is buying homes here. We are investing in a school now. We're building an Islamic school for our kids here. This year, people are trying to find ways to get their money out of Egypt. From a visitor point of view now, I really enjoy going to Egypt just for the months of my vacation. Egypt is still on my top list of my vacation. But right now, I'm even thinking of bringing my family and not going back. Moving your mother yeah, and father, father here. here. Yeah. I fully appreciate, and again, I've never lived in Egypt, so like recognize where this is coming from. That I don't, I don't know. I think I, I do still romanticize what it's like, but and I and I fully appreciate going outside to find better opportunity to find. At the same time, I feel like if the most talented people are leaving then nothing's ever going to change. Yeah, it's not going to change. That's a, this is where the point where people gave up. We need to solve more fundamental problems. And I really respect people who actually took the challenge, and I know a couple of them, and they said, we're not going to leave our country. We're going to fight for it, regardless of what's going on. I'm not as strong as them. So if you sign yourself up to go back to Egypt, you're signing yourself up for a big fight. I've spoken with many Egyptians about this. There's this immediate reaction to Egypt from those who have left, like it's a jungle back there. And I have to say, in making this episode, I had many conversations that were incredibly cynical towards the country. That isn't to say things don't need to change. They do. A lot needs to change. We mentioned a few in our previous Startups episode. Challenges like really, really deep poverty, pollution and weak infrastructure, corruption, bureaucratic messes, gridlock traffic, there, there's all of this. But at the same time, this type of image of Egypt is incomplete. Because there is a pulse to the nation and the people that is extraordinary. And it's this pulse that, contrary to the rising statistic of those leaving, draws Egyptians back to their country. Nobody, even my friends in Dubai, did not take me seriously that I was actually going. Because nobody actually thinks you're really going to make the move. It's not like I'm going to the States or to Europe. I'm going to Cairo. Like, it's a jungle there. My reasons of moving to Cairo are very different than theirs. I've been away for so long. 
that I wanted to come back home. We'll hear more from Sylvia in our next chapter, but to recap where we are in our story, with all that we've heard from Ahmed and Abdurrahman about the challenges of finding good work in Egypt, the political roller coasters they don't care to put up with anymore, the easier lives they lead in their new cities, there's a definite phenomenon that those who leave Egypt and have the choice to stay in their new countries don't come back. They do, in effect, think the fight back home is too hard. And then there are those who, even with a second passport or options of permanent residency, say, I know the challenges and I choose Egypt. We'll pick this up next on Kerning Cultures. Join us for chapter two of Bilad Ummi Umid Dunya, this exploration of why Egyptians are leaving Egypt and whether, given the luxury of choice, an Egyptian today would choose to live in Egypt. This episode was co-produced by Lily Crown with editorial support from Rosanna Zayani. Sound design by Ramzi Bashur and special thanks to our guests Ahmed Yusuf, Abdurrahman Erlbach and Iman Daoud. And we want to hear from you. Where is home? And have you ever had to make the difficult decision to leave it? Let us know your experiences and thoughts on emigration, brain drain and whether you think we owe anything to the communities that raised us. Join in the conversation on Facebook or Twitter, or leave comments on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. Thanks for listening, and see you next on Kerning Cultures.